Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. It's all about running backs, and we're going to let the texters guide us through it with something like this from the 614. Absolutely nothing personal toward Master Teague. He's such a good kid. But I hope he's challenged in spring and August camp. He's a north-south runner, period. He has little perimeter speed. And then there's the other side of things. From the 937, everyone seems to have already written off Master T. Do you guys think that he isn't getting enough credit as he was coming off an Achilles injury? He looks like a monster in the weight room. So I think the running back conversation, Nathan, does start, as much as everybody loves the young guys, it does start with what you think Master Teague is and what you think he can be. And that gives you some idea of how much you think a, a true freshman can challenge him. Is he fighting? Should he be the number one back? But I do think this, start with the injury part of this from the section, second question, Nathan, because Tony Alford did address this. And we talked to Tony Alford on the running backs this week. How should fans be thinking about what the Achilles injury last year, how it affected Master Teague, and if he's like 100% recovered from that, how should it affect the view of him now? Well, certainly he wasn't 100% at the start of the season. I don't think anybody was really ever insinuating that. He was back enough that he could play. Um, it helped that the season didn't start until it did, October 24th. So he, he was able to come back and be productive. But I think he was better as the season went along. I think you saw that in his play. And some of that was obviously probably mental too. That the first When he came back and played with some hesitancy, I think that was part of that, which is natural, that you just had your Achilles snapped. So you're probably, uh, in the back of your mind, you got to get that out of your system a little bit. I think what you're seeing from him now, though, I think the, the, the texture is correct. I think you're, you're seeing that all of those physical ailments should be behind him now. And I think you're going to probably get this the best combination so far of like the experience of Mr. Teague or Master Teague and the, the health of Master Teague. Um, both of those things kind of combining at one time. Are you opening the door for him to like wear it, put a mohawk stripe down the middle of his bald head and start asking people to address him as Mr. Teague this I, I, year? You can go, I, I pity the fool who thinks these freshmen are going to start over me. I mean, like if I, now you put it out in the world, now you've got to write it. So, I mean, go ahead draft that script treatment see that's a name image and like this thing right like he should be able to run to the bank with that and we can call it the a team because it's the tony alford team it's like tony alford's george papard he's like running the show and then he's like hey mr t and he's yeah they, they run for like three thousand yards combined this fall and it's just like him with his arms folded like i love it when a plan comes together and that concludes our segment tv shows that existed 15 years before Stephen Means was born. Uh, I, I think this, I, I want to get a hard and fast, this isn't exactly marking it down, an answer from all of us on this. Do you lean more in the direction of people are overlooking Master Teague, he's going to be healthier, 
Like that's a mistake. Don't sell this guy short. Or do you lean more on the side of they need a better number one back than that? That like maybe there's a timeshare and he's part of it, but like that the, the like it it just can't be the answer that like he's the guy and everybody else is a backup to him. Like which do you lean more towards, Stephen? They just need a better guy. Running back seems to be the one place where that's still a, a way to classify the guy who's the incumbent starter. Over the last decade, we've seen it evolve at other positions. While with running back right now, we've just seen what the best of Master Chief looks like. Yes, he had a solid game against Penn State. He had a really good game against Indiana last year as well. And then in 2019, when he was fully healthy for the most, for the most part, he looked quality against tired first units and against second and third units. And he was good enough to be – third team all big 10 but you had to put that in context he's not he, he what he brings to the table is a good complimentary back he shouldn't be the guy who gets the lion's share of the carries all right so my you lean that way where are you leaning nathan yeah i say my assumption all along has been that master teague starts the year as the starting running back and that if he loses that job, it actually may be through no fault of his own. It may not be because he's not producing. It may be because someone like Trevion Henderson is that next level of dynamic that Ohio State has to give him the ball primarily. But you think – but the way you, you said that is sort of, sort of is like operating the assumption of like, well, Master Teague's the number one running back until – something shows us that shouldn't be the case, which is, I think, a little bit different than, like, Travion Henderson's our number one running back. He's just not ready yet, so we're going to have Master Teague start until he's ready. You know what I mean? Both of them would result in potentially Master Teague being the starting running back at the beginning of the year and getting most of the carries, but it's it, it changes – who it's on to change that scenario. And so you sort of said it may be no fault of his own, but like I, I am preferring that I would fall in the second category. They just need somebody better as their number one running back if they're going to try to win a national title. And so I'm operating on the assumption of Master Teague as the top guy is, is not good enough. And I, as the coach, would be thinking like, Travion and Evan Pryor are coming. I'm going to start playing them as soon as I think they're ready. They're going to definitely be ready at some point. But Masters carries are going to be based on when do I think they're ready. It really almost has nothing to do with Master Teague. Do you think I'm splitting hairs too much, Nathan, about this idea? I thought that was more or less exactly what I said. I understand. I guess, so, so here's my question, though. So you said Master T could be the starter and lose the job through no fault of his own. Or does that mean to you, like, what? If, that's an, that is, okay, to, to, because I think that is an important thing. I, I guess I'm just saying that I think Master T is a productive running back, but I also think he's at a stage of his career. We've talked about this before. I don't, he's not going to change the kind of running back he is, right? Like, I don't think he's going to come out, <clears throat> excuse me, and just develop some of these things that we – think of when we think of the, the great running backs that have been here at Ohio State that that kind of agility um, some of those sorts of things I, I think he's a very solid player I think he's a he can be a productive player in this offense but when you start talking about that like x-factor thing I don't think it just I think we would have seen it by now if he had so I guess that's part of the discussion right is whether people think oh no he still can be better than he's shown and maybe because we think he's north south because his Achilles wouldn't like let him make the cuts that other guys could make, right? Or that he was north-south, but maybe that's just a young player getting into a groove, and he's going to have a lot better vision and make cuts this year. Maybe you believe that, and that he, he's going to be better. But I guess what you're saying is what Master Teague has been, the Ohio State ball carrier needs to be better than that, right? That, that you agree with. Yes. Yeah. So then the two options, uh, Nathan, you, uh, Stephen, you agree with that. What Master Teague has been, Ohio State's primary ball carrier, needs to be better than that. Yes, I agree. So then the question is, do you get there by changing the guy or by the guy getting better? And then that's the discussion that we're having. I think you get there by changing the guy. And Nathan, here's the thing, Nathan. You're making the case that you think he probably is what he is, and what he is isn't good enough, so I don't think it's about him. Like, I just, like, I don't start – if I'm going to start my sentence about running backs, I'm not going to start it with Master Teague. 
It's not going to be Master Teague as the starting running back, and maybe that'll change through no fault of his own. We don't think he's a starting caliber running back for a national championship team. We think he is what he is, and it's not good enough. So then my conversation starts with Travion Henderson. When is he ready? And then Master Teague is there until Travion Henderson is ready. That's where I'm splitting hairs that I feel like might be worth splitting. Okay. I mean, I guess I, I see where you're coming from. I really don't think we're that far apart. Um, I mean, you could even equate it a little bit to what we saw last year, right? The Trey Sermon that existed in November was not the Trey Sermon that existed on opening day or December, I guess, would actually be a better comparison. It's not the one that exists on opening day or what they were seeing in the summer, right? I mean, Ryan Day even said that later that like, oh, we didn't, we kind of started to wonder like maybe this isn't the guy that we thought we were getting. We were wondering what was wrong. And then obviously we saw what he did uh, when the season was on the line in some really important times late in the season. He was incredible. So, or, or had, had at least achieved another, another level of, of play, another level of performance. So I guess I kind of see it the same way that like, and, and just because Trevion Henderson or Evan Pryor, or whoever might be able to do that at the end of the season, I don't assume that they're going to be in position to do it on day one. But even with the Trey Sermon comparison, both of those guys are coming off of injuries. So, I mean, whether, maybe that played a little bit into a role of why Trey Sermon was as bad as he was at the beginning of the season. With with Trey Travion, it's too many trays. This that's not the case. He's coming in and expected to be the world beater from day one. Well, but I, I, regardless of why, I mean, he yeah, he does. He's not coming off an injury. He's also coming off of not having played a high school football season his senior year and is a true freshman. So they've all got some some things to to get over. Yeah, but it's different. I mean, I think I just have to start. The number one thing to me is the running back at Ohio State is expected to be better. And, and I think the guy who is – and even among the other guys on the list, I mean, regardless – well, I mean, the age matters. Even with his inexperience and age, I think the person in that room who is most likely in 2021 to play to the high level expected of an Ohio State running back is Travion Henderson. Like I just I, – I, and maybe that's in week eight and it's not in week one – but I think the person who is most likely to get there at some point is Travion Henderson. I don't know that anybody else in that room, Mayan Williams, Master Teague, Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley, I don't know that anybody else is ever going to get there. And that's a high bar. It's J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott, Beanie Wells, Maurice Claret, Eddie George kind of bar. That's, it's unfair. It's high. But guess what? If you want to win a national championship, like, that's what it is. I don't mean, you know, that's like nobody's apologizing for that. And they are always in pursuit of that. Steven, like, there's no doubt that's what they want it to be. Doesn't mean you always get there. But I would put Trayvon Henderson on top of my list of who's most likely to get there in 2021. He is most likely to have, yeah. I mean, when you name those guys, they all had runs at some point that – put Ohio State in a position to win a national title, either win a national title or actually win the national championship with Maurice Carrett, even J.K. Dobbins. He put he did some things in that Clemson game, especially early. Zeke Elliott did what he did. Trey gives you that best chance to have a guy where you get to the end of the season, Michigan game, Big Ten championship, playoff game, he goes off like Trey Sermon was doing before he got hurt. Yeah, so that's where I, that's where I think we are. But I do think – I think, uh, how do I phrase this? I think like the conversation, the general topic of the running back room has to start with what you think of Master Teague. But then when I talk about who's really going to be the guy, I start my conversation with Trevion Henderson. So we're splitting hairs a little bit. I think we're all pretty much in agreement. And we'll come back and we'll work through this a little bit more. You really do have to work through it. We're taking reps. It's an interesting room, but it's a little bit of a complicated room. We'll keep talking about it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, I, I apologize to the texter. I can't I, – I grabbed a bunch of text questions for this, and I had been corresponding with the texter. And listen, you can do this with us at 614-350-3315. Sometimes you guys just really give us good ideas. And the texter who did this will know it. They had brought up a comparison that I was around for that I had not necessarily thought a lot about for this running back room. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit. And it's an Antonio Pittman, Beanie Wells comparison for Master Teague and Travion Henderson. And in 2005, 
Antonio Pittman was definitely the lead back for Ohio State. Troy Smith ran it in 2005. So Troy Smith was the second leading ball carrier for Ohio State that season. But Antonio Pittman averaged 20 carries per game in 2005. In 2006, he's back as the lead guy. And Beanie Wells is like a five-star freshman. And in 2006, as they are number one the whole year, Antonio Pittman went from averaging 20 carries a game to averaging 19 carries a game. And Beanie Wells averaged eight carries per game. And then the next year, Antonio Pittman was gone. And 2007, as a sophomore, Beanie Wells was the guy. Everybody remembers the Beanie Wells spin move in the 2006 Michigan game. Actually, I was a little surprised. I was trying to look up, did Beanie Wells take on more of a role as the year went on? And he actually did not. He only had two carries in the national title game, but they got down early and had to throw it. So he had two carries in the national title game. That famous Michigan run, he only had five carries that game. The week before against Northwestern, he had 11 carries for 99 yards. So in the middle of that season, Beanie Wells got got rolling a little bit. In a span of uh, seven games, he had more than 10 carries five times in the middle of the year. So I, I really liked bringing up that idea because I think, I think Pittman is more established than Master Teague. There's no doubt about it because Antonio Pittman ran for like 1,300 yards the year before and was the clear number one guy. But then they had a guy they wanted to work in. So Master Teague is not nearly as established as Antonio Pittman. I think Trayvon Henderson and Beanie Wells is a pretty valid comparison in terms of expectation, general ability, not in style of running or anything, but just like they're like a five-star guy that people think should be able to do something right away. 20 carries for Pittman, eight for Wells, and that Pittman kept the job the whole year. I love the texter bringing it up, but Stephen, that doesn't actually feel like to me the way this would go. I, I don't think that's – I would be a little surprised if that's the end result, if Master Teague ends up holding on as much as Antonio Pittman clearly was the number one guy that year. What do you think? It's a great comparison when you don't add context into everything that was around that. I mean, that's Jim Trestle era, Ohio State football, where the experience is going to play. It, that's just how this works. There's also the idea of, yeah, Beanie Wells is the last five-star running back to come to Ohio State, but he also came at a time when you were early enrolling. You know, you were showing up in the summer, and you were performing in fall camp, and you, if you got a job and you got a role, then you got a role. Travion's situation, as, even if he, as he didn't play football his senior year of high school, he's coming in as an early enrollee, so he's already ahead of where Beanie Wells was when he got to Columbus in, what, 2006. And also yeah, – also to the point of Antonio Pittman was the returning starting running back. This, so that would have made more sense if, if Trey Sermon was coming back and Trey Sermon had just been, okay, he hadn't been awesome at the end of the year, but he was a decent running back, but he was coming back for a fifth year as a, as a senior. And then you had Travion Henderson. That makes a little bit more sense with that when you add context in, but the, the, the whole early enrollee and the fact that just in college football in general, there are more freshmen around the country who have significant roles when they should still be in high school is, is something that Beanie Wells didn't have at his advantage back 15 years ago. Just, just a quick point of order though. Master Teague was this team starting running back last year until he got concussed in the big 10 championship game. That's what opened the door for Trey Sermon. Not that he just lost the job or Trey oh, Sermon. But I mean, the, but it was more of a two back type of system though, than it not was really. Antonio Pittman was no. the guy. Well, was, whatever, whatever it was, it's not what it ended up. I mean, like by the end of the I'm year, just, I'm just saying, we, like, he was the lead back for this team more of last year than Trey Sermon was. But, but the bottom line is what Antonio Pittman was coming out of 2005, the status he held on the team at that point, is not what Master Teague is coming Agreed. out of Agreed. No, I agree with and that. We agree yeah. on that. But you do make an interesting point. Like, I'm not sure it's worth a discussion because it's not real and it doesn't matter. And I think it – maybe it is worth it. It's like it might get contentious and it might get weird – but it's like, what if, okay, what if Master Teague was going to the NFL and Trey Sermon was here and everything else was the same? You just trade Trey Sermon for Master Teague. And Trey Sermon had just run for 350 yards and was karate kicking people, Nathan. Would we think that, like, Trey Sermon's the guy? Because I just said it's not about Master Teague. It's about Travion Henderson. All right, so switch them. Now it's Trey Sermon and Travion Henderson. Who's it about? How much different would we feel if it was Sermon instead of Teague? 
I think it would be a lot different because, uh, you know, up until that Northwestern game, like neither of those running backs had done what Trey Sermon then went on and did for the next two games. So they, he had shown another a higher level of play that was more like that kind of theoretical whatever that we were talking about when we were talking about Master Teague in the first segment of this. So I think it changes the, the conversation a lot. And um, it changes <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think it changes the conversation a lot because you you're you don't have you're not the question of whether or not you have a back who can do that is not out there anymore because you've seen it. It's been proven in a different way than Master Teague, as productive as he's been, as reliable as he's been, has not done that. Travion Henderson would just be the spell backup running back as a true freshman and then take over as a sophomore. Yeah, that might that might be the case. I mean, I I would leave open the door that it would be more than that. That like Trevion's special enough, and like, are we sure that Trey is consistent that way over a twelve game season? Right, but I think obviously it would be different. So let's get back to reality and what is from the six one four. How long does Master Teague keep his position as RB one? I'm not asking when Henderson or whoever takes over the job fully. I'm more asking when do we think it'll be a fifty fifty split, or what are the chances that someone else in the running back room starts taking the majority of the snaps? How many games into the season, if so? So I think that's a good for this way for the, this texture in the 614 to sort of like spell it out. Just that it's not that you would say Master Teague's this, the running back. Even if he technically starts, it, you would just say, well, they have a timeshare or whatever. Like when will it be no longer the case that Master Teague is the running back? What game? And I will say it's by week two. I do not think Master Teague will be like the guy in the Oregon game. Maybe he starts, maybe he gets even the first two series, but I think by then somebody else is working in, and I actually would guess that it's somebody else is in by the second series. I, I would guess that Master Teague is not the running back for the, both of the first two series against Oregon. Maybe he is for the opener. Maybe he is, but I think it's by week two in answering this question. Nathan, when do you think it is? That's a great question. And as I'm sitting here today, I guess I'm still still leaning enough towards them leaning on the veteran. I would say maybe it would be halfway through. They have a bye after the first six games, and maybe that's when you make that change. So after the Purdue game before Rutgers. Okay. Steven? I think Travion Henderson is the starting running back during the Akron game. I think some of what you're saying, Doug, is right. I think – Master Teague's a starter against Minnesota. He plays decent. Travion plays like a freshman. But then that Oregon game, Master Teague is okay, but he's not really getting it done. And then Travion explodes. And it's like, man, that five-star running back. And then they fight it for a week in that Tulsa game where they split it. And that's, you know, but Travion once again shows in his share that he's the better guy. And then the Akron game, he's the first guy to take the field. And from that point on, he's the guy. Let me ask a question. I want to get your guys' feedback on this because I think it frames – a lot of this discussion. How much do you believe when Tony Offord and Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day talk about trust and pass protection and all those sorts of things? How much do you really feel that that is a component in this decision? And because is the decision on who you start at running back different if you have a true freshman or redshirt freshman who's never done this before, or if you have a Justin Fields, a second year Justin Fields? Yeah, I, I, I do think the quarterback plays into this. But I, but I don't know how the quarterback plays into it. Because I guess the question is, it's Justin Fields. He's fine. You can put the freshman running back in. Because if he misses the blitz pickup, Justin Fields will get away from it. Or is it like, well, you have Justin Fields. You don't want to put some young guy in there who's going to screw up Justin Fields. And you don't need as much dynamic play from your running back. So go with the veteran. So I do think the quarterback matters, but I'm not sure which way. And, and both sides of the opposite are true, right? You could say, well, with the young guy, you need to have the veteran back there to help protect him, to be more reliable. He's not going to fumble as much, maybe, whatever. Or because we might be getting not Justin Fields-level quarterback play, we assume we're, they're not, then you need to have the absolute very best top-end running back in there to make plays on his own to take some of the pressure off of the offense. Like, I think both sides apply to that too. I think, but I think, I think you're right. I think that the quarterback and I think that mix probably is part of who they decide to start on week one and maybe week three and maybe week seven. I think the amount of things that fall under that umbrella of trust, 
false up based off the quarterback 100%. The fumbling thing, obviously, yes, you can't be putting the ball on the floor. I think the pass protection, I don't think that's going to matter as much if a guy's running for 150 yards. Because even Trey Sermon wasn't the greatest pass protector, but he created an outlet for checkdowns that Justin Fields wasn't using at the beginning of the season or in his first year as a starter. But he was also running for 331 yards in football games. And because I use the wide receiver room as a comparison, Urban Meyer was always, you can't get on the field unless you can run block. That's, you're not going to get on the field here. Garrett Wilson's run, run blocking was awful in 2019. He was awful at it. But when you can catch the ball like that, it doesn't matter. You're going to get on the field. And I think the same thing applies here. Trey might not be, be the best pass protector, but if he's going to run crazy, then you'll let it slide a little bit. And I don't think it's that the freshman running back has to be as good as Master Teague at those things. They don't have to be as tight with the ball and as good of a a pass protector. They just have to reach a minimum threshold of competence. So that's the difference too. Um, I mean, I just can envision a scenario, and I'm selling Master Teague short. I mean, we may come back, and I may be completely wrong on this, but it's like if Master Teague starts against – We've done it before. We've done it before. We've sold him short before. Yeah. If they hand the ball, if they if he's the starting running back against Oregon, and they hand him the ball on first down, and he there's kind of a hole, but not really, and he gets three yards, and they hand him the ball on second down, and there's a hole, but he bounces it outside and gets no gain because he doesn't get to the edge, and it's third and seven, and the freshman quarterback throws an incomplete pass, and they punt, and Oregon comes down the field and scores, and it's seven nothing. I'm putting Travion Henderson in for the second series. And if yeah. you and you put Travion Henderson in, you hand him the ball, and he hits the hole on first down and gains 12 yards, the competition is over. That's what I'm envisioning. And the one thing, and I do want to have a conversation about this, and I, I want to make sure we deal with this because we don't want to just have the same running back conversation we've been having all offseason because we talked to Tony Alford. So I want to make sure we talk about what Tony Alford said and how it affected our view of things. But the thing that I don't know that – that and it's harder to talk about, but vision is like maybe the most important thing here because vision is what, what Nathan, what you talked about, it's what held Trey Sermon back last year. That's what my question was about Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon, I think, could always karate kick people, but sometimes he was like getting to the hole and he was karate kicking his own lineman in the back of the head when the hole was one step over, right? You have to have the vision, and that can be hard. And again, we have a lot of stuff that go both ways. That can be hard for a true freshman but there are some true freshmen who have it from the jump and maybe you don't pass protect great and maybe but if you see it and you hit it and you're gone every everything else falls away and i don't know that either of their running backs early last year had great vision maybe Travion henderson and evan Pryor do and if they do it's off to the races. If they're starting to wiggle in the holes and hit that little sidestep and go, it's going to be obvious to everybody. I don't know how we talk about vision, Nathan. Of course it's obvious to everybody, but it might be the number one thing that shows up once the game starts. Well, I think vision, it, it, it relates back to the, the very question of what that system was last year. And I think it does still relate to this because I don't think, I think vision, what, what they expect from a running back changes from back to back. And I don't think they expect Master Teague to use vision the same way they might expect Trey Sermon or Trayvon Henderson to use vision. I think that they they asked that was the problem coming out of the Nebraska game last year. Um, this wasn't really a two back system last year because they didn't think either of those guys were playing very well. They didn't know for sure going into the first game whether either of those guys were all that good. They didn't know going into the Penn State game whether either of those guys they hadn't they, they came out of that first game that wasn't it. That wasn't crisp. That wasn't sharp. That wasn't what they needed to be. It wasn't until master Teague kind of started running in a very master Teague way that kind of downhill trying to gash people that way. And so I think what you're talking about that, that, that scenario you envisioned for the, the Minnesota game or the Oregon game, I can't remember which one you were saying, but like, where I think it's more like what the way you were thinking of Trey Sermon last year, which was maybe master T comes in and he's getting four or six, or seven yards on some of those carries. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, what would the, that's still productive, but you're thinking, what would the other guy have done with that same hole, with that same opportunity? You know what I'm saying? Because that was the way we looked at Trey Sermon last year. It was like, he would get good runs up through, you know, two thirds of the season, 
But in the back of your mind, you're kind of like, well, but did he really break away there? Like, did he really take full advantage of that? Like, was he really hitting that? Like, and I think that's what I was going back to the beginning. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, I think there comes a time where you look at, at you, they may end up looking at Master Teague and saying like, you gave us everything you had. It, it wasn't that it was bad. It's just that this guy can do something that most people can't. Let's talk about Evan Pryor a little bit. And then I want to make sure we talk about Tony Alford, because I do think we talk so much about Trevion Henderson and justifiably. So I think maybe we overlook master Teague, but I think we also maybe overlook Evan Pryor at the same time from the four one two. If Trevion Henderson wasn't coming to Ohio state, would we be talking more about Evan Pryor competing for the starting job? He's a top recruit that would be getting way more attention at another place or in a different situation. Could he legitimately challenge Master Teague for playing time? They're not the same back, Stephen, Travion and Evan. And we can get into the Tony Alford, or the way they both talked about it, which is sort of how you wrote about it, Nathan, that was an interesting, interesting way to talk about how they're different backs. You would understand it more, Nathan, uh, Stephen, having covered their recruitments, I sort of feel like I just think Trevion Henderson more has more of like all the qualities of a number one back right away where what prior can catch the ball in the backfield and do a lot of things, even though they're both ranked highly Pryor's not that far behind Henderson in recruiting rankings. I'm not sure I would view Evan Pryor. Like if, if there was no Trevion Henderson, I'm not sure I would just slide Evan Pryor into the Trevion Henderson spot and be saying the same things about my expectation of the freshman sort of taking Master Teague's job. How should we view Pryor? Yeah, they're both talented. I think what it is is what Ohio State wants from its running back, Travion Henderson is more prepared to do right now than what Evan Pryor brings to the table. If Ohio State ran Clemson's offense, where the running back was a vital part of the passing game, then I would probably lean more. Evan Pryor is probably a little bit more prepared. And, I mean, the personalities, as, as you guys found out, mim- mimic that in the sense that Trayvon Henderson is like, I just need one good hit and I'll be good to go. While Evan Pryor is like, I don't want to get hit. I'm trying to go score touchdowns. Evan Pryor is the epitome of what an all-purpose back is in that he can, he's a, a receiving threat out of the backfield. He's shifty. He can break off big, big plays at time, from time to time once you get him in space. While with Travion Henderson, it's, he's awesome in between those tackles. His ability to read holes, his ability to get to the second level, make guys miss, you know, shove guys off of him, turn seven-yard runs and 13-yard runs. That's where he excels, and that's what Ohio State wants in its running back, as we saw with Trey Sermon late in the season, and as we saw with J.K. Dobbins. And so he just fits that more. While they do complement each other, both in their personalities but also in their game. But, no, I don't think Evan Pryor is ready yet to be what Ohio State wants from its running back. That doesn't mean that in the future he's not going to get there. He probably will. He'll develop. But for right now, if Travion Henderson wasn't here and Evan Pryor was, we'd just be saying Master Teague's the starting running back. I want to ask a question real quick, too, because correct me if I'm wrong, but like the recent history of guys, even highly ranked guys that come in with that APB differential on their running back mm-hmm. history as prospects has not worked out here that well. We were just talking about Descartes, Demari McCall the other day. Jalen Gill was also now I know I know that the, the coaching transition has happened. But is there I mean, you understand what I'm asking here? Like if there was a Ohio State fan who saw that and was like had some trepidation about it. Why do you think Evan Pryor doesn't apply in that same way? That APB thing is a weird classification because I'm pretty sure J.K. Dobbins and Zeke Elliott were both classified as that according to 247 okay. Sports as well. It's – I don't know it's how fake. they actually – yeah, it's, it's fake. a fake thing. It's, it's, it's a fake some, thing. They just want to have extra spots to rank guys separately, yeah. just like with dual threat and pro-style quarterback. Maybe yeah. at one point in time it made sense, but the way offense has evolved in college football – yeah. All running backs do everything. All quarterbacks do anything. It is a designation to make more kids feel like they're ranked high. Bingo. So from a recruiting standpoint, that's what it is. Nathan, to your point of like, there was a time when Ohio State was recruiting running backs and turning them into H's. And that's where guys got lost. I think might've even Paris Campbell might've fallen in there. Right. That, so they're just not, US, they're not, yeah. they're not trying to do that anymore. It's the guys who got lost in between the two positions. That's not going to happen anymore. So like it's not like it's not like we don't know what Evan Pryor is going to be. He's a running back. Mm-hmm. He's I a mean, running back whose skill set right. just favors more of the passing game than the running game right now. But they're not going to put him in the slot. They're not going to no. try to like turn him into a you know. So so I think you I think it's a good question. But I think and I even as you're admitting in your question, there's a clear answer of why. If you did have that before and you thought, man, 
look at what happened to Jalen Gill and Damari McCall. And the answer is, well, no, that's not how it is anymore. That's just not how it is. What did you learn, Nathan? I want to talk about Mayan Williams because I, 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 I didn't go back and re-listen to Tony Alford and I was paying attention, but there was, again, I always look for what hits my ear. I thought there was a Tony Alford comment about Mayan Williams that hit my ear. And then I was like, no, maybe I overestimated it or I, I'm remembering it wrong. So just generally, the way Tony Alford talked about how they might decide things, how they'll split it up, what the pecking order is, what did you feel like you learned from Tony Alford that is now contributing to our thoughts the way we were thinking differently before we talked to him? So I think what you're, I'm guessing that what you heard was there was a question posed to Tony Alford about Master T kind of being the incumbent and whether that's how we're supposed to be looking at this. Like, is he the number one back? And him being the one, the first guy that he mentioned as being like, well, no, we got other guys here. And the first guy he mentioned was Mayan Williams. That was really the first thing. It was like, he, you know, he didn't get a lot of opportunity last year, but when we put him on the field, he really showed something in just in those small opportunities. And I think that's important because we have to remember that the reason Mayan Williams played last season was because Master Teague was concussed in the Big Ten Championship game, and Trey Sermon had run the ball like 600 times in a row. <laughs> Somebody else had to go in, or he was going to, like, die. So Mayan Williams went in and ran one time for 10 yards. And then again, the playoff semifinal against Clemson. Trey Sermon is just carrying the load, literally, and somebody had to go in there for at least one series and give him a chance to get his breath. And so it, it was necessity that put Mayan Williams into both of those games more than, frankly, probably accomplishment. It says something that he was getting in when Crawley and, and Chambers weren't getting in. I'll, I'll give him that. But, like, it was necessity that put him into those games, and he showed something. Like, he definitely flashed. So I, that was good recognition because we talked about this right after that, remember, about how, you know, sometimes this happens with guys that they get, they get that opportunity that wouldn't normally have been there, and they flash. But you know what? It's Ohio State. That doesn't necessarily mean you're ever going to get that chance again. And maybe that's, maybe it just passes in the night, and you get to kind of look back at that as, like, remember when. But I think it says something that, Tony Alf that it did open Tony Alford's eyes, that he looked at that and said that wasn't necessarily – what we assumed would happen or, or that was maybe even a little bit above our expectation for what he could do in that scenario. Yeah, that was it. So that was it. That was mm -hmm. what like, like one of those where it's like, well, he didn't have to say anything, but he grabbed a name to say, and the name he said was Mayan Williams. So Nathan, then just from what we heard from Tony, is it the way we think this is going to shake out the way the competition's going to go, the way the decisions are going to be made, what they're going to arrive at in the end, you did write about this on the site at cleveland.com slash OSU. And again, we hope you guys are listening. We hope you're also reading. But Tony Alford said, like, make me play you, whatever the, the phrase was he said. I mean, he didn't, as much as we say, yes, there's got to be the trust issue. And you even asked that question. Like you said, a lot of guys are saying, you know, Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day are saying these things. And you, you brought that up during the course of the interviews with guys. Tony Alford definitely has the door open on, like, I'm here. I'm just going to play the best guys. If you want to play, make me play you. What, what does that mean? Well, I, there were definitely some questions that got to the crux of this matter, right? You asked one basically saying like, hey, aren't you going to have to go have some tough conversations with guys at the end of this? And, and I do we, – we're going to finish this podcast with that, which is okay. how is sort of the bottom mm -hmm. of the room going to shake out? But, but for, the, for the moment, let's keep talking about but, how the top of the room is going to shake out. So leading up to that, though, uh, I, I thought it was an indication of – just how intense this is right now. And I, I, when I look back through the interviews, I actually missed it last night as I was putting that together, but and I can't remember now which back it was, but kind of talking about how, yeah, we realize this is a competition. Might've been Evan Pryor. Like we realize this is a competition. It's, it's, it's so there's some intensity there, but we're all still coming in. It's, it's a, it's a friendly competition. It's a, you know, we're helping each other, all that stuff, things you, I guess would want to hear. But I thought the way Alfred talked about this in a number of answers was that, uh, listen, the stakes are kind of high right now. The stakes are high for Ohio State to go find that, that nebulous thing that we were talking about the first segment of this podcast. But the stakes are also high for some of these individuals because you can't be fifth or sixth on this depth chart and really think you have a future in this offense because all of these guys could be back next year. Every single, all six of these guys could be back, plus who, you know, whoever, if they decide to add some over 2022. I mean, it's, it's going to be crowded here for the near future. And if you, if you drift all the way down. So I think it was just a reminder of him of, of the, the um, urgency that these guys have to feel this spring. And, how, and now it's, I think it's his job, though, as a coach to kind of take that. And it's not easy, probably. I think you could screw it up with the wrong touch, right? I think you have 
to massage that the right way to get the best out of everybody without it becoming like caustic or, um, or, or problematic. So Tony? I want to ask, I want to ask two very specific questions because I want the two of you to answer two very different ones mm-hmm. and then we'll get to the bottom of the room. So top of the room questions and Steven, I'll get to you in a second, but Nathan describe Tony Alford's willingness to play the true freshman. If they're the best guy, what did you absorb in totality? Is he just 1000% open to it? Yeah. You, we've yes. got to trust you, but once we trust you, like how would you describe his willingness to play Trevor Henderson? If that's the guy, that's my impression. That if you come out and and prove it, then we don't care who you are. It's it's take the names off of it. Whoever the best guy is is gets the job. And then Stephen, you wrote about this for Wednesday morning, and you asked Tony Alford about this. Your interpretation, not what his answer was, but your interpretation of the answer. Does he want a guy to win the job, or is he? Nobody wants a two back system, but would he be fine? with the two-back system, or does he really want one guy to prove he's the guy? How do you think he would like the playing time to work out ideally? I think he wants one guy. Um, and I think in my question, I talked about, I basically said the two-back system failed two times you did it, and um, he kind of scoffed at it, but it did fail. I think he wants somebody to stop, step up. I, I, think he wants, I think he wants one guy to, to, to take that range. And I think the way he talked yesterday and the way – Travion Henderson would talk during recruiting and the way Evan Pryor would talk during recruiting. It sounds like during the recruiting process, he was telling those two guys, there's going to be an open spot. One of you come grab it. So this is then I think the combination of those two answers is he's totally open to a freshman winning the job. He wouldn't mind if the freshman wins the job. Here's what I do think in the end, I don't think master T is going to vanish. So as much as I think they might have like Travion Henderson, my guess would be the starting running back for the majority of the season. That'll be my guess that he wins it fairly early in the season and he's the guy. But I do think in that scenario, it doesn't mean master Teague has like two carries a game. I think there may be a world where we wouldn't characterize it as a two back system, but that it's not 26 carries for Travion Henderson and zero for master Teague. It's 19 for Travion Henderson and seven for master Teague because your backup running back plays sometimes when your starter is a true freshman. It's not a two-back system. It's your backup running back every now and then gives the starter a breather. Go ahead, Nathan. So like last season when they didn't have a two-back system and Master no, but, T was but, just the guy carrying but, the ball most of the time, most of the season. That's not – Well, but, but I that's think – That's what happened. I mean, they had two separate one-back systems where the guys flipped. Right, some sort of like by necessity at the end because Trey Sermon only took it because Master T got hurt. Right, but you're right. Trey Sermon was not; they were not just like splitting the carries evenly. You're right. That Master T was the guy. Because I think Trey it'll Sermon be like wasn't last, good enough. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it could definitely look like last season when you had a lead back and then you had a guy who was the secondary back. I think that's very common in football. I think what's uncommon, I think what's more uncommon in some ways is what J.K. Dobbins did two years ago, where he's just, you're just riding him that to that extreme. Well, no, yeah, uh, that's... I don't think that's uncommon at top programs with top guys. I mean, Alabama rides Najee Harris. Clemson rose Travis Etienne, yeah. rode Travis Etienne, right? I mean, I think uh, when you have a great dude at a great place, yeah. that guy's the guy, Do- right? But I guess what I guess Dobbins, what I'm saying was... Dobbins, last- kid, Dobbins carry numbers are just higher than those two just because of how Ohio State uses its running backs. But the, the right. usage of them is pretty similar. I guess what I'm saying, though, what, what Ohio State did last year was not some kind of a, an odd timeshare. No, it certainly wasn't a timeshare the way Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins was correct. Right. in 2018. Right. Right. Which is probably something I think they want to avoid. Last year was weird. Like, of all, like last year was weird for COVID, but like where the position was like the weirdest was probably running back. Because frankly, as you're saying, it's like Ohio State's backup running back ran for, broke the record for single yards in the game. Right. Not their timeshare running back, not their co-starter, their backup running back because the starter got hurt. And so the backup running back ran for 380 yards. And again, I, what, what I don't think will happen relative to last year was I don't think Ohio State gets to week one, gets to opening day and is like, do we have a good running back? And then they play the first game and then they start game two and they're like, do we have a good running back? Like, I don't <laughs> think that's going to drift this long. Even if, even if Master Teague is the one getting all those carries, I think they're going to look at I, I, I think Master Teague, a healthier Master Teague, 
a, 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 a more prepared Master Teague, Master Teague doesn't have that injury in the back of his mind, is more ready to be productive on week one. And then obviously Trayvon Henderson, I think, also not coming off an injury thing, also more ready to be ready week one. Also wouldn't be shocked if week one the running game just sucks. Just because, I mean, the last two seasons the running game was, was weird in week one, and then they got fixed. In week in 2019, especially, they got fixed in week two, and really got fixed in week two last year too, too. Just because Master Teague was pretty solid in week two against Penn State, and you're moving just as much, if not more, stuff around on this offensive line this year, right? Oh, much more. I mean, last year we thought the interior offensive line was one of the strengths of the whole team. This year, the interior offensive line is a huge question mark. Now, we assume we assume Paris Johnson will block like six guys on every snap, so he's going to be a guard, but he's never really done it, and then. You know, Harry Miller playing center for the first time, and Matthew Jones, he did get some stuff. But, I mean, it's not Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, right? And, and if you're looking for holes inside, you know, that kind of stuff matters. We, but now, on the edge, when they're trying to pop stuff offside, we, uh, you know, outside, we assume that Nicholas petit Frere. And, again, when they zone block and, like, those tackles come in and just move the pile to the side, and it's not that you have a hole. It's that they just shoved the entire defense onto one half of the field because Nicholas petit Frere caved in three guys, that's going to happen too. So, like, you know, it's not like only the guards matter in the run game. So it's a good offensive line, but they certainly have some question marks, and that's going to affect how these running backs look. They did miss holes early last year. That was one of the main things. We were wondering, is the offensive line not playing that well? And then sometimes you'd look and be like, no, there were holes there. Just neither of these running backs were hitting the holes. Again, I'll go back to my maybe I'm putting too much on Trevion Henderson. I do think that is something that a young running back can do right away is that you have it. If, if, if you've been carrying the ball in high school a lot and you just have a sense for how things work and you get enough of those looks in camp, I think Trevion Henderson's going to be hitting holes with confidence very early. And then I, I think well, that's going to be the game changer for the running back competition. All right, I want to talk about the bottom of the room. What happens to the guy? I mean, someone, as much as Nathan, you said, Nobody wants to wind up fifth and sixth. Guys are going to wind up fifth and sixth on this pecking order. What's going to happen? That's next on Buckeye Talk. Last two texture questions taking us through this. Again, if you want to be part of it, 614-350-3315, working our way through the gas station snack bracket. Uh, Cheez-Its, big win. Big first-round win for Cheez-Its over Chex Mix. 51-49 in an exciting, salty region matchup. Uh, and then I found out I was tweeting about Cheez-Its, and then I found out that uh, someone sent me a story that like Cheez-Its were invented in Dayton like 100 years ago. It's like the anniversary of the invention in Ohio of Cheez-Its. So Ohio is like birthplace of presidents, right? A lot of presidents from Ohio. First man to walk on the moon from Ohio. Cheez-Its, the big three. From Ohio. Really? That, that's, that's your big three? That's the big three. It's because I'm not originally from Ohio. I put myself in the big three. Uh, all right. Running back transfers. And again, we'll talk about it because it's a reality. From the 860. Have there been any rumors about running back transfers? What do you think are the likely spots for the guys in the RB, running back room that do transfer? I have to imagine no one wants to be the fifth running back in a room um, when you think you can start somewhere else. That's from the 860. So that's just being real. And then this is a little more complicated co question. This is Joe and Charlotte from the 330. What room is more likely to see a player transfer first, the running back room or the receiver room? So we can try to answer that. And one of the answers is like a, a receiver already transferred. And I know, he, I know Joe knows that, but it's like on some level, it's like, well, Mookie Cooper got to the end of last year and was like, well, this isn't it for me. And he's at Missouri already. So Antonio Williams was a guy who was committed to Wisconsin many years ago and Ohio state came at him late. And I've talked about him a lot because he's a guy that I think if he had stayed with his Wisconsin commit might've had a chance to be like the next guy up in the Wisconsin running back lineage. And instead he took the late Ohio state offer. And then like, he never got on the field here and he transferred to North Carolina and he did not play that much at North Carolina. And he still tweeted to Tony Alford and they still had a good relationship. And, and I think Antonio Williams, I think had good feelings about his Ohio state experience and his overall college football experience at North Carolina without ever really being the guy, right. Which is, I hope guys are able to do that. It's really hard to be like a starter at a power five 
conference college football team. Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. So, but he's an example of guys that I use. So, so like, I, and I just said, oh, Demario McCall, you know, said in the last podcast, he should go be a starter in the Mac. It's like, well, are we sure we could be? It's like, I don't know. I think he could. So Nathan, I, we don't know where they're going to go. I mean, we don't. But what, when do you think guys might go or how do you think this will shake out? And clearly Tony Alford is going to sort of tell, I think, number five and number six. Listen, it's not – and this is the deal. It's not Master Teague, it's not Evan Pryor, and it's not Travion Henderson. They all know what's up for this year. It's mine, Williams, Steel Chambers, and Marcus Crowley. It honestly is hard to see – where there is space for more than one of them. Not just that one of them probably is a transfer candidate, but that two of those three are. How do we just think it might unfold? And we're putting out names because everybody knows the names. We're just talking about running back five and running back six generally because it's just a reality. Well, I want to give credit where it's due here. Yesterday during those interviews, if, if people watch it, I posted the video on our YouTube channel with Tony Offord. Uh, Jeremy Birmingham for our colleague slash counterpart slash whatever we call people on the beat. Arch rival, arch rival. Asked a fantastic question of, hey, here's how we see it. There's basically three tiers, right? The Master Teague tier, the freshman tier, and then the three guys you just mentioned, Doug. Like, so who's got the most pressure on them this spring? And Tony Offord's response was, well, that's a loaded question. I don't think I want to answer that. And I'm like, heck yeah, it's a loaded question because it's it's the – thousand percent truth like one thousand percent we all know the answer to the question who's got the most pressure on them it's those three guys in the middle like there's no question and and you asked a great question about about transfers I mean you came right on asked like hey don't you have to have a conversation with some of these guys and maybe they have an opportunity elsewhere and Tony offered to his credit said yeah they're gonna have to have that conversation at some point with somebody and he may already know who he has to have that conversation with I don't know he's not gonna say that on the second day of spring he's not gonna say that to those guys on the second day of spring we did have a texter ask me today, and I wanted to clear something up real quick. They said, hey, do you think the combination of Steel Chambers not moving to the linebacker room, which I've always thought was more speculation than anything related to fact, or and the fact he wasn't in interviews yesterday says he's the one that we think should be transferring. And I wanted to clear up that, A, the reason he wasn't in interviews yesterday was because they ran long and he had a class to go to, at least that's what we were told, that he was going to be available for interviews, and that happened. And then, again, like I said, I don't think the linebacker – moving him to a linebacker room didn't open put him in line to play any more than being in the running back room frankly I never thought that made sense so just to clear that up for people who might be listening and who might have had might have wondered the same thing but it, it absolutely somebody I mean it's now it's just a numbers game a year ago the numbers game was we've got one scholarship running back who's healthy and it's steel chambers and yikes and then now the, the numbers game is we got too many guys this is it's tough because I mean, yeah, Steel Chambers got an opportunity, even if it was only two spring practices, to show some things because everybody else was hurt or just not on campus yet. You kind of feel for Marcus Crowley a little bit because he got hurt his true freshman year against Maryland, and I, we were talking about him being in the mix last spring of given what the running back room was. Hey, can Marcus Crowley is he going to get healthy and maybe have a role here? But then he wasn't ready. He wasn't not ready to play. And as Tony Alford said, he admitted that after the Alabama game that you're right, I probably shouldn't have been out there because I wasn't ready to play yet. My knee was not ready to play football. And Maya Williams showed some things. So it's just Marcus Crowley's in a hard position because he's never really got a chance to show it because he's never gotten a full healthy season. Mayan Williams popped, but he's the three-star who was committed to Iowa State, and Ohio State had to flip late because their running back recruiting in 2020 sucked. And Steel Chambers, the chance he would have gotten to maybe show some things, got taken away because of COVID. So the reason, like the reason that Evan Pryor and Trevion Henderson are both here, is because nobody thought the running back room, as previously constituted, was good enough. So it's like it's not. If they had, you know, four Big Ten starting running back quality guys there, they wouldn't have recruited two top 100 players in the country at running back in this class. So you have to be realistic. It's like it's not just us saying it. It's Ohio State recruited to a room that wasn't good enough, and the reason we can tell is because we can tell the recruits they got. So I think Tony Alford, the way he said it, I think it's very possible that if we're trying to figure out who's going to transfer first, another receiver or a running back. I think it's very possible the running back transfers out of this room at the end of spring. That feels real to me, that there are going to be conversations. As we've talked about with the receivers, now that Mookie Cooper's out, 
you know, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner, I don't really almost count them in this because they're just not as much in the mix. They're older guys who have already been passed. Maybe they leave. I don't know. That's no affront to them. It's just the reality of the depth chart. Like the rest of the receivers, as we've talked about, you can start slotting stuff a little better where even though it's like, well, you know, it's like you might be in slot three at your position, but you can see how you're going to get to slot one in two years. So just sort of like relax, develop, watch Chris Olave, watch Garrett Wilson, do your thing, learn from Brian Hartline. Your time is coming. The older guys in the running back room, like there's no slotting. There are two top 100 freshmen coming to take your job. And there's only one real running back who plays. And there might be three up to six receivers who play. I think running back is far more likely to have multiple transfers and quicker transfers because I think by the end of spring, things will be very apparent to at least one guy at the bottom of that room and maybe two. And frankly, they don't need six scholarship running backs for the fall. They would be fine with four. If it's Master Teague, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor, one of the other three, and the walk-on guys, that's a good running back room. You don't need six. And then it also sort of helps definitively figure out like you're recruiting for the next class and where scholarship numbers are and stuff. I, if I were betting, I would bet one guy leaves after spring practice, maybe two. And I don't want to put that on anybody because there might be guys who want to be Buckeyes above all else. But I think there are guys in that room who can play. For instance, Marcus Crowley, just as a for instance, he's one of the three guys we're talking about. Marcus Crowley was the Gatorade player of the year in Florida. He was ranked like in the two or three hundreds, right? And in, in his overall thing, he's a really good player. If you told me that there's a school in the South, a little closer to home, whatever, that's like, are you kidding me? Like not Georgia, not Alabama, but like almost anybody else below that level that are like Marcus Crowley's in the portal. People will be like, are you serious? That guy? Let's call him right now. Right? Like, that's what Marcus Crowley would be, I think. So I just think that's possible. And Mayan Williams, listen, I hope Mayan Williams feels about everything he did. He could just reset if he wanted to. He came here because there was an unexpected opportunity. And then if it doesn't work out, it's like the door kind of, it didn't get slammed on top of him. But all of a sudden, two other guys decided to try to come through the same door he was trying to go through. I'm sure Iowa State would take him in a heartbeat. (laughs) Right? Like, Mayan Williams could just be like, I went to Columbus for a year. It was cool, but now I'm going back to where I thought I was going to go. Just as an example. And I'm sure Steel Chambers could do the same. And I just think it'll happen. I just think it'll happen with at least one soon. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it was important that you brought up like those walk-ons because in the past they've, they've talked about people like Xavier Johnson almost in the same breath as they've talked about some of the guys in this room. So I, that's another clue, I think, is just to where, where things stood and why they had to bring two guys in to try to correct things and get it to the level that they wanted it to be at. When you build like what you're, I'm always like, I'm always interested in what's the perfect scholarship allotment by position for an 85 scholarship situation. I'm not sure anybody would say running back is six <laughs> when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Now they have, they have room, they're fine, but like, that's not really what it's supposed to be. It's kind of weird to have a six person scholarship running back room. Steven, what are they doing for 2022? Um, there's three guys in the mix running, Katron Allen, Dallin Hayden, no, Amari, Damari Austin. It's going to be one of those three guys. Those are the front runners for 2022. And they're only going to bring in one, obviously, but for the sake of continuing to recruit. And that guy is just going to be back on the normal path. He's not going to come in here thinking, I'm going to be the starter from day one. Obviously, he'll compete. But it gets you back on this right path of quality running back recruiting. But those are the three guys that people should be paying attention to. My, my point just being, if two guys tried to stick around and be here, like ne- next year it's a seven-man room, probably. Yeah. nobody's a senior right right yeah right and nobody used eligibility so they're all freshmen i don't know i don't know what the ncaa did they're all freshmen i think the ncaa screwed that up by the way they did they went too far of all the stupid things the ncaa does because they don't think like about they don't think they're like oh the women women's basketball they can just like squeeze a rubber ball for a weight room. They don't need anything. <laughs> this, I think, I thought they overthought, right? Like they were like, oh my gosh, everybody's getting screwed by the pandemic. This is terrible. We have to watch out for the student athletes. What should we do? 
How about nobody's eligibility matters? What about the Alabama guys who literally played like a full season and won the national title? No, none of it matters. It's like nobody played. What about the teams that played like 11 games? Nope. It's free. It's like, why? Why, it's, I, why did you do that? I have no wh- – what were they protecting against? They wound up playing a pretty much normal college football season, and they just decided it didn't count, and I'm not sure why. Because they definitely didn't think that they were going to get through this season. 100%. They did not think that we were going to get to a national championship game, let alone some teams playing 11 and 12 games. It's, but there was middle ground here. You could have just done it for this year's seniors. Yes. So that they could get a normal – you didn't have to – Legend Cavazos doesn't need six years of college football. Ju, no, scratch that. Let me use an actual five-star. Jackson Smith McJigma does not need six years when he's clearly on a three-year plan. And you're giving him – no. It well, but that's just, not even – but, but he's but not his three-year plan it. doesn't change, yeah. But, but, yeah you're if, right, right. So at but, the end of the day – What about the guys who are going to try to use it? That's the issue. Yeah, they're def- 100%. Because the, the guys who were rated in the Mayan Williams world are definitely going to stick around for six years. You should have just done it for this year's group of seniors. Okay, fine. Marcus Williams and Thayer Munford and those type of high school Garrett, they stick around fine. But then you get back to normal scholarship numbers the following year without messing – because nobody else is missing. Again, to me, though, it comes back to – I'm still kind of in a wait and see because it, I think it, it depends on how – coaches approach it when Marcus Williamson says hey I really want to come back next year then I think it's up to the coaching staff to say that's great but you're not guaranteed anything more than you were you know what I'm saying like it's are you are you still just making it best guy plays if that's the case then I don't in the short term I don't think there's a big change well but the issue is when they're going to get to how they're going to count scholarships and not count scholarships in the future right with all these guys and you're going to end up having to like run guys off when it should be their eligibility is just ending it's going to create like unnecessary hurt feelings and it just creates like unwieldy rosters like it's just not like the the whole like they're talking about like they have 112 guys now and they're not used to that like all the great things that you can do with 112 guys for spring you're not supposed to have 112 guys in the spring. It's not only upside. It's a fair point, but I also think that there is a lot of times there's enough rapport and conversation that if you're a guy who is a tweener, you're a guy who even you get to the end of your career and you don't have a big role and the coaching staff says to you, like, listen, man, like we appreciate everything you've done. We just didn't think you were still going to be around. I, I don't know. I think those conversations can be had in a professional way. But what was the upside of doing what the NCAA did? I, who did they I, I think it was that happened at a time when we were no, 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 a don't lot give of decisions. Me, but what? But in the the end result helps who? Who does the end result help? If you're going to say, well, the timing of it, what they thought, whatever, the way it turned out, it's not really helping anybody, is it? Now, if you're saying just apply it to seniors, but the effect that they applied it to everybody across the board, is there a good effect in the end? I guess, again, I think it depends on whether or not there's a good effect, I think is irrelevant if there's no harm. I need there to is. see the harm first. I think the harm, well, you the harm like being, if there's, there's harm to future classes. There's harm to if you end up with more guys on scholarship and they're going to count and now you can't recruit as many guys and you're trying to figure that out. And there are some schools who are crunched on stuff anyway, and scholarships are a huge expenditure for this. And you're trying to balance stuff. And it's like, it just, it complicates things, I think, unnecessarily when they could have just done it for, if you're a senior, you can come back. And if you're a senior, you can come back and your scholarship will not count against the 85. Your school still has to be willing to give it to you, but it won't count against the 85. And then in 2022, we're back to normal. Because there is not a single person alive who needs to say, I play it. I only got to play nine games with COVID. Or you could have done something where it's like, if you don't play, if you personally didn't get to play at least seven games, it doesn't count for you. That either your school didn't play, you got COVID, you got hurt, whatever, right? That you extend the redshirt rule, yeah. right? That kind of thing. There were just too many teams that wound up having basically normal seasons and they made a rule as if nobody was going to have a normal season and it was just silly and from a football's perspective it harmed paris johnson because he's not playing left tackle this year 
I mean, th- 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 yes, there are some guys who are going to take advantage of it who don't have roles, but there are also going to be the Thera Mumfords of the world who had a role for three years in a row. He was a starting left tackle here. And now he's back at, for a fourth year as a starting left tackle, which now a guy we all keep throwing Orlando Pace's name on has to play out of position. And that's one less year of film he has as a tackle. Now he might still be awesome next year as a tackle, but it's the fact that he has one less year of film. Now, and to your point, Steven, you're suggesting that even in your scenario, that still would have happened, that you would have given it to the seniors. But, but the point that you're making is guys sticking around to hold a spot that they should be passing on is harm for sure. And, and I guess it's a wonderful bonus for Thayer Munford. If they had not made the rule, would Thayer Munford have felt like he got screwed out of a senior year? He played eight games and they went to the national title game. Yeah. And I think you asked the question, Nathan, did you feel like you had to have a conversation with Paris Johnson on why you were coming back? That's a conversation he should not have to ever have of, hey, I'm coming back to take your job. So you have to wait a year again. But I just I just don't think it would have been like unfair, right, to the fair munchers of the world if their senior year had been that and they just would have said it's over. It wasn't perfect. Sorry. You didn't get to play. 15, 15 games, but you got to play eight. I, I, I don't think that would have been like a reparable, unfair harm to those guys. Yeah, I would say this decision fell in line with a lot of decisions that were being made, which was erring on the side of great leniency or great caution. Like things were so unknown at the time that people were kind of just going overboard with things. And we everybody in a lot of facets of society, it got accepted. So I think this is one where that, that I guess you, can, you could argue, I guess, the repercussions weren't completely thought through. Yeah. No, I think you could. Right. As you said, here's your rubber ball. Um, okay. That's running back podcast tomorrow. Friday is Buckeye feature Friday. Nathan and Steven talking recruiting. We're going to dig into the defense on the weekend. So thanks to everybody. Great texture questions again on this one. We saved all the running back ones for one podcast. We're talking to linebackers this week. So when we get to that weekend podcast, we'll have some more linebacker info to pass along. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU for all that information. And a great time to try the text. We're finishing up the first round. Still have the candy region has not started its games yet, but those will begin soon. If you get in now, you get to vote on those. So for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>